The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Most people, when injured or wronged by another, think about and want to ease their psychic pain by resetting the score with revenge. In this episode, Dr. Stephen Berglis invites us to consider taking revenge a better way a topic that Dr. Berglis has recently addressed in the February issue of Psychology Today. Dr. Berglis is a former faculty member in Harvard Medical School's Department of Psychiatry and McLean Hospital. Following teaching appointments at both USC's Marshall School of Business and UCLA's Anderson School of Management, he's now an executive coach and corporate consultant. He has written 70 articles and authored five books. His book, Reclaiming the Fire, How Successful People Overcome Burnout, was actually named by Fortune magazine to its list of the 75 smartest business books. His latest book is both enjoyable and very valuable. It's called Stay Hungry, Bite Burnout in the Butt. Dr. Steve Berglis, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne. I really appreciate it. Okay, so let me give you some examples that I think might stir revenge in someone. The case where you have a boss who suddenly can't give you the raise he had promised for all your overtime. Or the competitive manager who steals your idea and presents it as his own. Or the friend who becomes sexually involved with your girlfriend. Steve, aren't we wired to feel revenge in these types of situations? Um, well, two of the three, um, you know, will, can provoke um, murderous rage and are legal grounds for murder in Texas and other states. I mean, seriously, <laughs> we are hardwired for revenge from infancy onward. We have a sense of fairness in the world, we have a sense of uh, knowing that rewards should be meted out evenly, even though they're not. And one of the first things you'll hear a child cry growing up is, that's not fair. And that's the, the origins of our adult sense of seeking revenge, or lex talionis, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. These are part of religious traditions, the Hammurabi Code, it was in the Old Testament. This is, this goes back to antiquity. The problem is, it doesn't work. Um, there's a lot of things that go back to antiquity that are genius categorically as uh, understanding of human nature as any theories out today, but there are some that 
have severe limitations and have been proven to be wanting. One of those is the notion that if you exact an eye for an eye, you'll feel better. You don't. That's the problem. Hmm. Now, what exactly happens to us neurophysiologically when we face the kind of injustice or betrayal? What exactly is happening in our brain and body? All right. Let me try to explain that in a way that everyone, even those who don't like biochemical analyses, can grasp. When we get angry, our brain is wired to get angry instantaneously. The chemicals that shoot up into our cortex and say, saber-toothed tiger is going to kill you, go right past any mediation. It's a direct channel. They don't have to be processed. They don't have to be analyzed. It goes, danger. And what happens after we get the signal is adrenaline is fired off. Why? So we can fight the danger. Now, the same exact thing happens seeking revenge. So I'm not endangered if I'm driving one of the California highways and some uh, car cuts me off uh, and, and, you know, throws a hand signal out the top of his convertible that is very not nice. Um, But I feel a personal insult. I feel a personal uh, threat to my integrity that this SOB did that to me. And the the same exact biochemical firing, the same message to my cortex, danger, because the integrity of my um, selfhood has been threatened, is fired off. And we now have in our vernacular a term road rage. 9.9 out of 10 instances of road rage have nothing to do with anything dangerous except insults to our integrity. Yes, they lead to shootings. They lead to car crashes. Because people, when their integrity is threatened, are they get the same danger signal. My, when my ego gets threatened, it's, it's probably worse than threatening me, you know, um, with a smack in the tuchus. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just mention one other thing that I go into at great length in my book, Stay Hungry. Think about the National Football League, okay? We're approaching Super Bowl time. The nation is transfixed. People are screaming to Donald Trump, lift the uh, shutdown of the government so we can have a Super Bowl. Nothing matters to, you know, 40% of the Americans but the Super Bowl. (laughs) You have the National Football League, and in that game, you have incredibly talented athletes beating the living daylights out of each other minute after minute after minute. No fights occur. None. Until such time as one player taunts another or says something, you know, under the helmet to the effect that it's challenging that other player's manhood. Then you get a fight. In fact, the National Football League in its wisdom said taunting, just a verbal negative gesture, is the same thing as a personal foul, like punching someone in the head. Why? Because that's how we're hardwired. Our integrity is as vulnerable to us and important to us as our physical, um, you know, safety. So revenge comes mostly from you messed with my ego. 
Right. I'm not right. going to let that happen. And and one of the things that you're alluding to that you mentioned many times in the article is that revenge seeking, Steve, hitches us to the horrible. We start ruminating, right. our mood exactly. gets worse. In a sense, we give the person even more power over us because we lose our present focus and stay riveted on the insult. Somebody, and I, I apologize for not remembering who, um, I'm in the midst of writing another book and my brain is cloudy, but somebody said, seeking revenge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. It's, um, every time I think of the SOB back in Boston where I used to live, who stole an idea from me, I relive it. He doesn't get hurt. He's, right. He ran right. off with the idea. I'm sitting here in Los Angeles suffering because the body responds exactly the same every time I think of it. Now, that wanes over time, but one of the reasons I say don't go to psychotherapy if you're seeking revenge is because psychotherapy makes you relive it. The shrink will say, well, tell me about it because the shrink needs to know what's going on. But every time you say, well... I was at McLean Hospital and blah, 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 stole my idea. My, my, my memory takes me back and I get the same reaction over again. And I relive it and rehearse it and relive it and rehearse it. And beginning with Freud, uh, who articulated the fact that these revenge-seeking motives are played out in dreams and fantasies and, and intrusive thoughts during the day, they can't... They, capture your life they steal it from you and you become obsessed so as a psychotherapist i would say to you yes it makes sense maybe for someone to bear witness to this and it might be of course a therapist or a dear friend but then as you're suggesting you then have to redirect your brain to get out of the revenge loop i couldn't have said it better because Here's the, here's the bottom line. When you're seeking revenge, and again, Confucius made a remark, when you're out for revenge, dig two graves, because right. it'll kill you as sure as it'll kill the other person. You're very literally stuck in that place. If you say, all right, th- what that person did is infuriating, and what that person did needs to be punished, but because I'm not on the Supreme Court or I'm not, you know, uh, the Attorney General of the United States or something where I can't file suit, I will do something to eliminate every version of that son of a gun that I possibly can. So a guy named um, oh Jesus, Walsh, I forgot his uh, first, John Walsh, lost his son to a, a murderer. What did he do? He couldn't go after the individual who killed the son, because when he began his appropriate coping strategy, the person was not yet identified. So he created several laws that alert people to kidnapping and the like, but he also created a TV show called America's Most Wanted, where Mm. he said, I can't get the son of a gun who got my kid, but I will take every comparable son of a gun off the streets that I can. I will try to clean 
the country of miscreants, detritus of humanity, like those who killed my son. And by doing something with the anger, because he's still mad, but he's right. targeting it at something that is socially useful and beneficial to the world. And when you do that, as every good uh, psychotherapist like yourself will tell you, when you do something that benefits others, you benefit in the process. Mm. It's almost as if you're taking the agitation and the hyperarousal that we feel when the person cuts us off, when someone, uh, God forbid, kills your son, and you are just shifting it in a forward-moving direction rather than staying focused on the perpetrator. Right, because you want to, I mean, again, if, if you're going mano a mano with a perpetrator, that's, that keeps you in the context of the original harm doing. Yes. If you say, I will eliminate all harm doers, I will eliminate all um, drunks like Carrie, uh, Candy Leitner did when her daughter Carrie was killed by a drunk driver and she created Mothers Against Drunk Driving, you're essentially saying, I, I want to get out of the rut I'm in, but I loathe the person and, the, and like people, so I'm going to go after all of them. Okay. So what would you and say to... benefit to society at the same time. So you say, and you're implying, revenge is looking backwards, and making this shift is looking forwards. Now, I have a feeling we have some listeners that are saying, well, it sounds easy enough, but I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the fact that that guy hooked up with my wife and my marriage ended. I'm obsessed with that. So the question becomes... How, and I think, and I was going to ask you, I'm sure that burnout often is a result of an obsession related to revenge. So how do we untangle from that, Steve? All right. First of all, you're right. It is. When, when people burn out, it's because they feel um, they've been cheated of the rewards due them. It's like... Mm-hmm. Um, what I say in Stay Hungry is uh, I, I parallel to the United Negro College Fund ad campaign that said a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And what mm-hmm. they were talking about when they launched that campaign was um, disadvantaged uh, black youth, mostly from southern states, who couldn't go to college. And they had these great minds, but economics and um, the skill set to, you know, know where to apply and have the best likelihood of getting accepted or getting scholarships kept them out. So the United Negro College Fund launched this campaign. And what they did is they didn't say, I'm going to go after every racist in a southern state. They said, we're going to just lift up the kids who are disadvantaged because of racist policies. Right. And burnout is... If I'm wasting my mind, if I'm feeling, oh, my God, I've done this. Like, let me give you an example. I, I used to work for a legal consulting firm, and I worked for some of the highest power attorneys in America, literally. And 
I would talk to some corporate attorneys, the attorneys who, you know, did the uh, paperwork for business deals. And you know what they would tell me? After 20 years of doing the same type of corporate deal, the same sort of forms, even though they were getting 750 to to $1,000 an hour, they were burning out because it was wasting their mind. There was no challenges. You need challenges. So what I would say to the person who lost a, a lover spouse to infidelity, I would say, well, you have two choices. Or three, really. You can kill the person and end up in a prison. You can, you know, uh, stay wallowing in your own self-pity. Or you can do something constructive. Now, they will say, what am I going to do? Put an end to adultery? That's impossible. Right, it is. But you get the same positive feeling if hypothetically you say, you know what really, really, really ticks me off is that Victim assistance programs in America are underfunded and lack psychotherapy. I felt that way. So when I was in Massachusetts, even though I wasn't personally victimized, I helped start Massachusetts' victim assistance program decades ago. I mean, just a lifetime ago. You can do a million things. And what I counsel and stay hungry is find a wrong you want to redress. Find something that is negative. Like, uh, here's a fantasy of mine. I hope one of your listeners steals it, okay? I believe that the biggest disservice Facebook and social media outlets have done to the United States of America is the anonymous or um, screen name protected SOBs who spew venom without accountability. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I loathe it. I think it's the worst. It, it's, it's part of why our society is awash in venom. Because people are now hiding behind screen names and saying the most scurrilous, despicable things about anyone they want to. You could put an end to that. You could do, uh, there's right. so many things that are wrong that you could put an end to. You don't have to go directly at the harm doer. Okay. Who caused you to feel a need for revenge? Okay. We're really talking about moving forward with that momentum right. instead of moving backward. We're going to take a brief break. <clears throat> You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with Dr. Steve Burgless. He's an executive coach. He's been an instructor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and an adjunct professor at the Marshall School of Business. He's mainly noted for books about self-defeat, burnout. And today we're talking about revenge done better, something that's actually very related. Stay with us. We have much more coming. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. 
Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Hi, welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Steve Berglis, and we're talking about different aspects of Revenge Done Better. And one of the things that... um, Steve and I were talking about at the break is the issue that very often the injustice sets in motion a sense of shame that who am I without this uh, man who just left me for the neighbor? Who am I without getting the raise that they promised? And with that shame, the comes the same turmoil, the systemic turmoil, the distractibility, the need to tell the story to friends a million times, and really a real problem unhooking from it. And we were talking about, Stephen, how people might unhook from it and the benefits of it. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned to me, and, and you articulated it in an excellent manner, is that, um, you know, if you can realize that what you're holding on to is, is a sense of shame that um, derives from what are other people going to think of me versus right. how you really feel. You, 
it, it's liberating. I mean, one of the main things that keep people in jobs and cause burnout is that they want to be the vice president. Um, I, I worked for, uh, I worked for a lot of hedge funds and there's this one fund I, I worked for where they had a gentleman and he was really a, a poor performer and he didn't get raises and he never objected about getting, I'm excuse me, bonuses. But what he said is, look, I've been here three years. Can you bump me up in title? And I was sitting in on the end of the year review, and I said, the reason being, and I said, well, you know, I have a, um, a business school reunion I have to go to, and I can't walk <laughs> in there and not tell them I'm a senior XYZ. And I said, well, I don't know. Why don't we do this? Um, we're going to lunch after this interview. We'll swing by Burger King, get you a crown, and you can wear it to your business school um, reunion. And he looks at me like, because you're kidding. And I go, well, what are you asking for? You don't want the Burger King crown? What are you asking for? And I was trying to help this guy realize that if you live with what's called uh, reflected appraisal, just what people think of you, you're not getting any satisfaction out of your life. You're just doing things to impress the Joneses or keep up with them. And people really die a psychological death when they live that way. So if you say, oh, my God, I'm a cuckold. Mary Jo cheated on me. What are the guys going to think? That You're dead. If you say, you know, stuff happens. Um, we drifted apart. She, you know, violated a big uh, number of the Ten Commandments. I got to move on. That's it. You're free. And you can't just say, you know, what are the whispers going to be? That, that entraps you in a fake life forever. Yes. I, I often say to people, and I was mentioning to Steve, and maybe listeners have heard it before, I often wish I had a wall in my office with before and after pictures. Because when people have faced the, what they feel, a serious betrayal that ends a marriage for a while, they are frozen. In that, just as you say, Stephen, who am I now? What will people think of me? And when I've often said, the audience will follow your lead. If you reconnect with the best of you, they'll reconnect with the best of you. And I will tell you, the, the before and after pictures, the journey from, oh, my God, to thank God, I didn't know what I had, and now I have something much better in terms of believing in myself. The pictures are, are incredibly different. People look 10 years younger. But it has to do, and it it's very similar, I'm sure, to burnout because people literally grab hold of their own sense of self and stop worrying what the audience thinks. And it's really true. Most people, if they do, walk in with a sense of self-esteem and self healthy self-narcissism, the audience will follow. Well, that's a great way of putting it. Um, the, m- most of what I recommend people do in uh, combating burnout is uh, a type of pro bono work, a social service work, work that doesn't pay anything close to what my clients who have been on Wall Street, top law firms, uh, CEOs of corporations were earning, but 
the difference between a person who's burnt out in a job that they believe will make them feel psychologically rewarded one day when they get to this magical uh, amount of compensation does nothing relative to what they do, uh, what they feel, excuse me, if they see the smiles on thousands of faces that they've helped. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, I mean, I, I wish I was the one who came up with this notion, but it's been around since Ecclesiastes. You, you don't get a feeling of self-worth from money. If, if that were the case, every heir to a fortune would be, you know, flying on cloud nine versus most heirs to fortunes end up, um, you know, with a series of psychological problems. Right. The, right. the way you get happy is, I love your phrase, may I steal it, by the way? Because I, I, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, if, if you set your sights on something that uh, is beneficial for you and the world, the audience will follow you. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a great way of putting it. Mm. You know, and what we're really doing today is saying two things. The self-defeated feeling of burnout, um, I think at one point in your burnout book you say, figure out why you got into this hole and how to get out of it. Um, But there's a real connection here because when you have taken a mission, many of the people who have been in places where they have lost a child or even people who face 9-11 and lost so many loved ones, those people who started foundations, those people who started missions to help other people, they not only got the positive feeling that you're describing, but when it was tied, in fact, to the original act of assault or loss or betrayal, it really has great importance to them. I'm sure the woman who lost the child and created Mothers Against Drunk Driving there becomes a kind of feeling like I lost my daughter, but in her loss, how many children were saved? And that becomes a very powerful dynamic. Well, it actually does. Now, let me not, you know, mislead your listeners. If hypothetically um, they find a way to channel the anger born of uh, marital infidelity, that doesn't mean when they go to Whole Foods and bump into the cheating spouse they lost, they're not going to get a, a feeling in the pit of their stomach that they'd like to right. shove her head in the, uh, you know, in the produce section. It, it, it's not a panacea, but what it does do, people say, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, forgive and forget. Well, that's, you don't forgive and forget, and forgetting doesn't happen. It, it's just, <laughs> like... You know, uh, you know, John Waltz doesn't forget his son Adam ever. He said that in many interviews. And, um, you know, I, I know I've counseled a lot of people who were um, dumped by spouses. I did a lot of work um, with rape victims because of, I, I felt it's the most despicable thing in the world. I counseled and was in, you know did psychotherapy for a lot of rape victims. They don't forget. But what... I'm arguing for is that if you channel anger into a socially constructive entrepreneurial activity that makes the world a better place and is, you know, a novel application of your energy to problem solving, 
you do move on. I mean, look, I, I will never forget the bastard who did me wrong uh, years ago. I, I can't, I just can't. I mean, but he doesn't affect me anymore. I mean, again, I'm not going to, I don't get hurt by the feeling, but, you know, it's, um, it, it doesn't go away. It, it's, it, we are, you know, uh, um, a piece of art shaped by everything that impacts us. And, you know, you just move on. If, and if you do move on, you get the benefits of ongoing reinforcement that you will never get, never, if you're sitting, you know, um, in your bedroom plotting revenge. It doesn't work. Well, one thing, and maybe you could explain this to our listeners, you talk about the fact that when you reverse revenge with a proactive new possibility, in some ways the provocative stage of the amygdala, which is what responds when we're in danger, begins to become muted, and that need for punishment starts to drop. What do you mean by that? Well, you're not rehearsing it. You're not, if, if hypothetically, um, Johnny walked in on his wife and her lover and he was traumatized. Well, the first thing Johnny should do is move out because that bedroom will have associative features in it that will activate the amygdala. I mean, you can't help it. It's like, People will tell you that if they smell chocolate chip cookies like their mother used to bake, it, it creates all sorts of uh, right. fond memories. If you know, if we as animals, social animals, but animals nonetheless, respond to a lot of uh, preconscious cues, and uh, the amygdala is an automatic information processing system that fires off again without censorship. So if I get that smell or if, um, you know, they were burning incense in the room when they were having their lover's tryst and you smell sandalwood incense, you'll go back to the tryst. So you want to do a certain amount of house cleaning, but that in and of itself doesn't take away the cognitive component. The cognitive component is removed when you direct um, highly focused attention and you get into states called flow or you'll get absorbed by activities where you're applying all matter of skills and um, intelligences to novel activities. Those then create reinforcing pathways that the amygdala responds to. What you're doing is you're setting up new learning loops, if you will, that... Um, because the others are, are not being reinforced, come to substitute for what was once there. So if I mm-hmm. learn that um, Massachusetts, where my trauma occurred, would, um, you know, activate um, bad memories, I didn't leave Massachusetts because of that. I did because my wife wanted me to, but was sure helpful because, you know, I don't drive to restaurants where I would eat with this guy or, you know, pass uh, places where we would, you know, go for drinks. It, it just reduces the number of automatic firings in your life. Now, I'm not saying yeah. you have to, you know, sell your home, but you want to reduce 
the number of reminiscences, as it were, because those fire off the um, cues. The other thing that you need to know is that a trauma creates neural pathways that are separate and apart and, you know, like a dedicated phone line. So everyone's heard about the hotline and the White House. Well, that's what traumas do to us. They create a hotline. So we don't have to relearn every time a saber-toothed tiger comes, we have a hotline. Oh, saber-toothed tiger, get out of here. We don't have to go, now what is that thing over there? Or you got bit by a snake. You won't forget that. So you go snake and you run. But you can also realize that, you know, um, if you're a lawyer and you're, um, sister died in a fire and you have a, an egregious sense of injustice and the world is unjust and you, as a hotshot lawyer, create the Innocence Project and you're Barry Sheck who created the Innocence Project, you get away from the injustice that threatened to ruin your adolescent life and you get rewarded by undoing injustices in your adult life. You create a new pathway. Well, I'm glad you brought up that example, and of course, that's a that's a great example of moving away from it with a survival mission that helps so many. One thing I want us to talk about, we're almost at the break, is when a situation has happened where you are a victim of a crime and you are waiting for the trial, Steve, or the question of whether you should sue someone for an injustice because, and my worry is, that you stay stuck until the the trial comes up, until the um, case comes to court, so that how would our listeners benefit? What would we tell someone who is the victim of a trial and is waiting for the crime to be juried, waiting for the case to come up? How do you even move on in that kind of a situation? Well... Uh, given that that's the exact situation I'm in, I can tell okay. you about after the break. I mean, uh, yeah. this is a, a case of treating yourself, but I'll, I'll tell you the story and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the perfect antidote to um, rehearsing and seeking retribution. If, uh, if we have a breakup coming, I'll wait for that. Yeah, it's, a, it's one that you want people, I've said at times to people who are in the middle of a trial, when you have to think about that, for sure, but if that encompasses your life for two years, we've lost a little bit too much. I mean, one of the reasons you hire attorneys is you want them to help you, but well, it's very, I, very I, hard. I, I mean, yeah, but okay. what you do is you turn it over to the attorney. You say, I'm impotent to redress this wrong. You do it. And what you do is you, you accept your impotence in this situation, because the way our laws are set up, we are not following the Hammurabi code. We don't exact eye for an eye. And I did it last night. I was rear-ended by a drunk driver mm. who, oh, no. uh, my car, I was a brand new car. I should have gotten the car totaled. Something happened with the insurance company. They didn't declare it a total. And then the car broke down. Mm. Um, a year after the repairs. So what I did is last night, literally, I met with an attorney. I said, it's yours. I gave him all the paperwork. He says, 
do you want copies? I say, no. And I literally said that. I said, if I see the reports, I'll go back to the accident. Right. They call me right. when there's something for me to do. I'm, it's okay. all in your hands. All right, we're going to come right back to this. It's an important point. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and today we're speaking with Dr. Steve Berglis. He's been a Harvard professor, a professor at the Anderson School of Management. He discussed revenge in the latest article, Revenge Done Better in Psychology Today, and his new book, he has five books, but his new one, Stay Hungry and Kick Burnout in the Butt. Stay with us. More to come. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio, every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're, we're speaking about revenge done better 
And we're speaking about the connection with burnout and redefinition of self and one's goals. One of the things that I think overlaps in both, Steve, is you mention in your um, Stay Hungry and Kick Burnout in the Butt book that there is vulnerability and humility are often the difference between a good and great leader. And I started thinking that one of the things people feel when they've been assaulted or betrayed or lost the job or made to feel shame, they feel very vulnerable and they often feel humiliated. I've done some writing on the connection of humiliation and violence. So how does someone turn that around to see it as the qualities of a good or great leader? What do you mean when you say it? Well, it's twofold. Number one, um, a good leader is approachable. Um, and I'll tell you a story, and you can respond. When was John F. Kennedy uh, most popular? Well, I want to say more people were speaking, unfortunately, after his assassination. Um, but right, that's you're talking what, exactly. About- okay. Of course, that's what everyone says when he was assassinated. Wrong. He was most okay. popular after the Bay of Pigs invasion okay. that he totally blew, and he got in front of the nation, and he said, look, nation of America, my fault, mea culpa, I'm guilty, blame me, I screwed up. What that did is it showed that he had strength. Uh-huh. Everybody yeah. knows people have clay feet. Robert Goitsweta of Coca-Cola introduced new Coke. It prompted riots. <laughs> you know, when he came out with new Coke to compete with Pepsi, he thought he had to make it new and improved. People rioted. He got in front of the cameras. He said, I apologize. We're bringing back classic Coke. You'll <laughs> never see this garbage new Coke again. Forgive me. I'm wrong. People respect others when they say, look, I, I have feet of clay just like you. Okay? Everybody does. I mean, you know... Um, you can forgive a person for making a mistake. What you can't forgive a person for is claiming, I came off Mount Olympus, I am a Greek god, I am invulnerable, I am perfect, I know everything, and you are a peon. That's, that's what engenders contempt. But if you say, oh man, you know, I will learn from my mistakes, that is a show of strength. And people respect that. So... I counsel people and say, look, you know, like, I can't do everything. I'm human. And going back to that issue of what happens if you're waiting for a trial, people drive themselves insane when they feel omnipotent, when they feel they're above uh, needing others. So it's like I said to my lawyer last night, it's in your hands. Don't call me until you want to. And I gave you the example in the break of, I'm in a restaurant, took 20 minutes for the appetizer to arrive. Some people think they're going to scream, they're going to huff. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? No, you can't go to the kitchen. You can't make a move. You leave. You say, I can't affect it. I am impotent to affect it. And you become stronger by saying, I got to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and so, so the, the overlay to me, which is really important, is if, if somebody harms you, 
the revenge keeps you stuck with them rather than you taking back your sense of self and turning the energy into something productive, as you say, something possible instead of something horrible. Now, I think the same is true. If we make a mistake and we move into self-revenge or self-loathing, we're stuck. But if, as you say, yeah, if you say you can own the error, as the examples you gave with John F. Kennedy and the um, head of Coke, you actually move beyond the self-revenge to a proactive possibility. It's really the same dynamic. If, if you're strong enough to not say, I am omnipotent, which only a, a compensatory narcissist would do, you are better for it. You say, you know, um, uh, I'm going to keep improving. And... Continuous improvement is a business strategy, it's a religious strategy, it's a self-help strategy. You just want to continually improve. And, um, you know, I could give you the Lord's Prayer, the AA, so many different models of moving forward in life say, I'm human, I make mistakes, but I don't want to make the same mistake twice, so I'm moving on. I, don't, I mm-hmm. will learn, I will self-reflect and construe better uh, strategies as I move forward. But to beat yourself up, that does nothing. Mm, I think you give in your article the Moby Dick example of the obsession. If it become, if the revenge becomes an obsession, if the self-loathing becomes obsessive, then in some ways you're you're far. You're really digging yourself, as as you said, you really dig yourself into a spot that you can't move out of, um, which is why the whole idea of hitching onto the possible instead of connecting with the horrible, which is the theme, your theme about a better way to do revenge is so important. Well, I appreciate you saying that because, I, I mean, I know it works. It's um, incontrovertible that uh, it's, you know, nine sigma more effective than the alternative because mm-hmm. um, you know if we had a three hour show I could just give you examples from literature where people you know out for revenge uh, suffered horrific consequences it's just it's one of the oldest themes in the world you just have to realize that um, it's very unsatisfactory even if you, even if you believe you're going to get the other guy or gal, it it leaves you with an empty feeling. You always say, "Now what?" Well, here's and- here's a catch, um, Steve. So whether you are the counselor or the executive coach, the the mother, the sister, or the spouse, there's a tendency for the person to say, "Let it go." Um, and what that sometimes does is solidify the person in the revenge stance because they don't feel understood. They don't feel anyone knows how bad this really was. So what is the stance that you take as an executive coach? What's the stance that the person, the loved one or the therapist or the other party who sees someone ready to take revenge and is so dysregulated What's the best stance to take? You make an excellent point. If, you know, when you hear, let it go, it's like, you know, the first thing I would say to every intern I ever taught, when a depressed person comes in your office, I don't care who they are, 
how many uh, bona fides they have, what they've done in their life. If you say the words, don't be depressed, I'll kick you out of the program. I mean, it's, <laughs> the, worst, it's the worst. Don't be so depressed. Look at it. I mean, their eyes are on your eyes. I mean, I, would, I recall that uh, introduction to working with depression like it was yesterday. What you want to say is, I can't know how you feel. I can't. I can't imagine how badly you feel. It is, I, I can't. And I, 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 trying won't help you. What you need to understand is that the longer you perseverate with these thoughts, the longer you um, review them and rehearse them, you keep the wound open. Just mm-hmm. pull it apart and pour salt on it. But I, I can't know how you feel is what I say. And that, yeah. again, that's like, you know, I, I'm impotent to empathize. What I am potent, where my potency lies is I'll help you uh, channel those feelings into something that will be constructive. But Great. I can't empathize. Right. You, I mean, you can validate that they're difficult and they're, and they're entrapping but if you can, once you do that and you can help move the person move out of it, as you say, when someone hears, I'm going to help you with it, that's as much as validating that there exists. We're almost out of time, and I want folks to know how to get to you and to um, get to your books. Steve, how would someone find you online, and how could they find your new book? Um, well... Given that my uh, website is being reconstructed, uh, the best way they could uh, get to me is via uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know my name, but you just type in Steve Berglund. Steve Berglund, yeah. Or on Amazon.com, uh, the book is Stay Hungry and Kick Burnout in the Butt. It has a really lovely blue cover. <laughs> you know, they can buy that. It's great. And, um, all your books are on Amazon, is that right? Yeah, all your books are on Amazon, okay. Right. Okay, very good. Um, okay, Steve, I want to thank you for a great show. You really did tell us how to do revenge better, and as well as so many other important connections and coaching stories. Uh, it was invaluable. I appreciate you coming on today. Well, I can't thank you enough for having me, really. Okay. okay. You're a I to work with. Thank you. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this show and any <clears throat> prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes. By this evening, this show, Revenge A Better Way, will be a podcast. Until next week, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.